Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. I am Mike Leon. And not taking video recommendations from Kyrie Irving. I'm Nick Sparrow. <laughs> We're going to get into that in just, a, in just a second, Nick. A jam-packed first segment on the program today. The final few days till the midterm elections. Nick and I on President Biden's speech this past week. The latest news on the attack on Paul Pelosi, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband. We're going to discuss everything that happened surrounding that horrible attack. Kyrie Irving suspended for not apologizing for his promotion of an anti-Semitic uh, movie that's on Amazon Prime. We'll get into that all in our first segment. Plus, later on in the program, U.S. House of Representatives member Seth Moulton from the state of Massachusetts. He joins us to discuss his reelection campaign, how he feels Democrats need to better, better message, excuse me, across the country as the midterms come to a finale here this coming Tuesday. Don't forget to go out there and vote. And also, Nick, check this out. Bipartisanship. Seth Moulton believes in it. We do, too. He gives us an example of how to do it more later on in the program. That was a great conversation. Check that out in the next segment. And finally, Nick will grade my recent appearance on MSNBC. That's right. I did not stutter. I was on TV, folks. More on that in our final segment in case you missed it. Uh, first, I say hello to Nick Saveri. Nick, good to see you back on Zoom. Seeing you in person made me want you to go back to Zoom. So uh, I'm very happy that you're back in your respective place. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm I'm more worried about you. Your your voice seems worked, man. Between yeah. last week and I know you've been busy. We got some folks. We can't get into a whole lot of stuff here, but there is some incredible stuff coming out of uh, Can We Please Talk and Leon Media Network that uh, in the coming weeks, Mike will be able to share more about. Um, we're good here. Big news on the election front. Uh, Laura is filling out her mail-in ballot, and she is actually working on election day. Uh, and unfortunately, in her field, she's twenty-four hours, so she's not going to be able to dip out um, and be able to vote. So she's filling out her ballot today. That'll get in the mail again in the state of Pennsylvania. As long as you get it in by election day, you'll be they'll be counting the votes in Pennsylvania. Funny enough, people are early voting now, but nothing gets counted until election day because for some odd reason. They refuse to count it until then. It's so, it's so weird. So many so, different states have different, man. different rules. It's like Florida here, you can early vote two weeks prior and, and things are tallied. They just hold it off. But for some reason, Pennsylvania is like, no, we're all going to do it on the same day. Like that. Did, I, I never understood that. That makes no sense. Yeah. No, it's just it's I mean, and we again, we talked to someone you know way back when on this show about um, rethinking elections, right? Like there's a lot of question marks about this process, but however you feel about it. First, honor it. 
vote on Tuesday or if you are one of the currently 32 million people who've early voted in this country, shout out to you all. You know, there's been an interesting back and forth playing out through the media between you know those who are saying you know talking about polling data and like races are closer than we thought like in georgia and pennsylvania and these places but then on the other side we're seeing you know 32 million votes coming in all the demographic breakdowns are telling us that these are young voters surprisingly some latino voters that we are expect that are leaning democrat from these votes early voting tends to lean democratic anyway but um but the numbers are outpacing 2018 2020 mike we talked about this with journalists in dc last week of you know is it a self-fulfilling prophecy or is there something really happening with this year's midterms and the voter turnout Uh, and it certainly seems to be the case because these numbers are just stunning me as critical as i've been about young voters and the electoral process in this country i've been pleasantly surprised by the uh, uptick in people getting out there and voting before tuesday yeah you know we're going to do an election special next week that episode will come out thursday so only one episode next week We've got hopefully somebody coming on the program that's a big kind of in the election space. uh, You would know this guy, know his voice. He's very big into data and knows every single race that's happening. We've mentioned it a bunch. All 435 House seats are up. We have obviously in the next segment, a U.S. House of Representative member whose seat is up and he's up for re-election. All uh, 35 Senate seats are up and 36 key governor races in 36 states across the country. Uh, I apologize for my voice. It is true. I have been making the rounds, not only on television, I was on, on MSNBC. I was also on the Rich Sanchez podcast. So you can check that out wherever you get your podcast. We were talking about um, fact checking Carrie Lake in real time. Uh, we've mentioned Carrie Lake, the Arizona governor candidate uh, on a bunch of different episodes. And in that episode on Rick's show, which you can check out Rick Sanchez news, wherever you get your podcast, we were talking about do Latino immigrants bring in fentanyl? The claims that she has made, fact-checking it in real time with DEA, CBP statistics. Uh, it was a really good uh, episode to record, so go check that out. Really important. Like Nick mentioned, in the coming weeks, we're going to have some news and announcement that will be very soon about uh, the future of Leon Media Network content creation and something else uh, soon to come. So more on that uh, very soon. Let's get into our first segment here, Nick, because it's jam-packed, and it all ties into each other because... Obviously, the midterms are upon us. Early voting, like we've mentioned, how many millions of Americans out there have already voted. But uh, you go vote Tuesday. If you don't know if you can vote early or whatnot, go to vote.org and you can check out all the information in your respective state. President Biden delivered a stark warning to Americans about the future of the nation's democracies that's going to rest on the ballot next week in the midterm election. We just mentioned Carrie Lake. There's a bunch of and I hate using this phrase. The media has used this with election denier, but election denier, excuse me. But there is a lot of people that have said they're not going to accept the results of an election, whether or not only if they win, (laughs) not if they lose. Right. Uh, Imagine going to a game and you go to a Knicks Hawks game and the Knicks lost and the Knicks don't leave the floor and all the fans uh, fight the Hawks. And they say, no, we're not accepting the results of of this game. I've tried to do that many times. It never works. Uh, they end up having a loss. But now, for some reason, with democracy, we're, we're, we're circumventing that. But the president gave a speech uh, uh, talking about how we can't take democracy granted for any longer. It was from Union Station out in D.C., where you and I were just last week, just steps from the U.S. Capitol and the attack that happened there on January 6th. Let's take a list, listen to what the president said last week in his speech to the country. I know there's a lot at stake in these midterm elections. From our economy, to the safety of our streets, to our personal freedoms. But there's something else at stake. Democracy itself. The extreme MAGA element of the Republican Party, which is a minority of that party, but is this driving force. We can't ignore the impact this is having on our country. So the president, you heard a little bit there, um, obviously, sharp message to Americans. Don't sit out in this election. Nick and I have mentioned it uh, a bunch. Go out there. If you're not registered to vote, please go out and vote. He also talked about the intimidation and the violence that's been happening against political figures and their families on both sides of the aisle. I want to play a clip from that. And then we're going to dive into because it feeds in perfectly into what happened with Paul Pelosi and that story. And there has been violence being committed against figures uh, in Congress and their families. Take a listen to what the president said on that front as well. This intimidation this violence against Democrats, Republicans, and 
nonpartisan officials just doing their jobs are the consequence of lies told for power and profit. Nick, I want to get some of your takeaways here because the president giving that speech and the backdrop of what's happening now in the in the state that you live in, the governor's race is a huge one between Shapiro and obviously Doug Mastriano. You've got the Senate race with Dr. Oz and John Fetterman. Here in Florida, I've got a big senator race with Marco Rubio and Val Demings and the governor's race with DeSantis and Charlie Crist, the former governor of the state once upon a time. So there's a lot happening across the country. And the president used his pulpit to be able to explain to Americans why it's important to vote, what's at stake uh, on the ballot on Tuesday, and also talk about the violence that's been happening around the country with respect to this attack that happened with Paul Pelosi and the speaker's husband. We're going to get into that in a second, but I just want to get first your takeaways on what the president was saying there is kind of the final message here before people actually go to the ballot on Tuesday, the ones that haven't already early voted. Yeah, it's I think since, you know, Trump left office, um, you know, the many <laughs> pieces of his legacy he's left behind, you know, is election denialism. Um, and it's it's becoming an eerie trope that we're seeing um, just come up repeatedly. And it's a dangerous one because of what it basically means is that there's just a growing number of people who just don't trust elections uh, unless it works out in their favor. And we're seeing that at all levels. Um, I don't necessarily connect that to the attack on Mr. Pelosi, but what it does tell us is that you know, we've gotten to this very tribalistic approach to politics. It's not about debating issues anymore. It's it's left, right, blue, red, you know, my gang, your gang. Like, that's kind of where we are at this point. Um, You know, the person who attacked Mr. Pelosi, you know, what we're learning from law enforcement is this person had zip ties, was going to interrogate, you know, the Speaker of the House. And, you know, something that keeps coming back up is this in terms of the severity you know, folks, if you pay attention, if you've read the Constitution in terms of line of succession, the Speaker of the House is the third in line uh, as leader of the country. You know, if something were to happen to the president and the vice president. So, you know, we we, we have a situation where, you know, the third most powerful person in the country was the target of a home invasion. Um, you know, Mike, there were some interesting data points that have come up. This was most recently from PolitiFact. Um you know, and three data points I think it's worth sharing. You know, the first is that, you know, survey done early 2022 you know, from the Brennan Center found that, you know, one in six local election officials have experienced threats. Uh, the second that comes up, this is from the U.S. Marshal Service, showed that number of threats against the judiciary or other federal court officials, and let's include Brett Kavanaugh on this, you know, that number rose from 363 in 2017 to 1,343 in 2021. Lastly, and perhaps the most chilling, threats against members of Congress rose from 902 in 2016 to 9,625 in 2021. You know, prior to this data coming in, you know, one of the most jarring things we've ever seen in this country was the attempted assassination of Gabrielle Giffords, you know, a representative from Arizona, where a gunman just came up to her as she was meeting with constituents. Uh, and just put a gun to her head and pulled the trigger. Luckily, she survived. Um, and she is prior to and since then been you know one of our largest champions for gun reform, gun law reform in this country. Uh, and it's a miracle that she survived. Again, point blank range, almost execution style. She managed to survive. You know, Steve Scalise, a Republican at a at a congressional softball game a few years ago, was shot by someone. Uh, again, another member of Congress. You know, being attacked. You know, on January sixth, one of the things that we're aware of, you know, Congresswoman um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, you know, from New York, had talked about this, and other members, regardless of party, because let's include Lynn Cheney here, had talked about the fact that they heard people that came into the Capitol building that were openly advocating for violence. This was not about just overturning an election. This was an attempt to violently overthrow the results of an election, um, and to do so at the, at the potential harm to elected officials who stood in the way. Um, and then we have this, you know, Mike, we're now at a dangerous place in this country where people have become so polarized that it just simply occurs to people that it's okay to go run up on an elected official. 
you know, and, and, and try to attack them, um, you know, to attack anyone in this country, whether they're elected or not. And you, myself, our families, what have you is crazy enough as it is, but we've just got to a place where people feel justified that their anger is enough reason to take action. And I don't know where we got to the, where we got to a place where that moment of thought to recognize that what you're doing is not just illegal, but just morally wrong. It's not the, the justification. Nothing serves as a justification for violence. It's just leading people to these actions. And yeah, you know, what we just saw with Mr. Pelosi is just, it, just exhibit fill in the blank of these acts. And let's not forget what happened to Judge Kavanaugh. You know, people just running up on his right. property, you know, wanting to threaten violence. And it's important to bring these things up, Steve Scalise, Justice Kavanaugh. I don't care about your political leanings, folks. What I care about is that we have people in office, and this Adam Kinziger is another one too, and we've seen this on Twitter, um, who are just the victims of either verbal attacks, sometimes physical, and all because people just disagree with what you are, who you are, what you stand for. Um, and I, I, I'm with the president on this. It's just a really just, it, it, we're in a really just scary place right now. Yeah, and I think President Biden did a great job there of kind of outlining from the beginning, it really all ties in together. If you think about it, what's at stake on the ballot in some races, we've mentioned it before in your race, governor DeSantis hasn't said anything to the effect of what Doug Mastriano has. And maybe that's because he's running for president potentially, or at least everybody thinks that he would be the challenger to, to former president Trump. But some of these folks like Carrie Lake, like Doug Mastriano, uh, like the, uh, the one in uh, Michigan, I forget her name that's running against Gretchen Whitmer. They've all said, I won't accept the results of this. And and when I win, we will change back things so that way we won't lose an election again. Like I was having a conversation with somebody earlier today and we both struck the same chord and tone. And it's something I said on MSNBC on the first segment that I was on. I was on two segments. And the first segment was, we've got to get back to right, wrong, fact, fiction. I've said this a bunch here and I said it on national television. Um, it's not really about Republican or Democrat, as the president mentioned as well. It's not about that, right? It's about right, wrong. Like an attack on a sitting member of Congress or their family is wrong. And in the next segment, you're going to hear we even asked Representative Moulton about the attack on Speaker Pelosi because he knows uh, Speaker Pelosi's husband, excuse me, because he knows the family very well and and how he deals with uh, threats against his family if he's had any of those. So you can hear that in the second segment. Um, you asked about a little bit about where some of this stems from, right? And I wanted to play a clip because one of the things that we did talk about um, recently on a, uh, as I've been making the rounds here is how this guy, David DePape, um, if I'm saying his last name correctly, actually I haven't heard his last name say said out there in the media, but now that he's been charged with by federal prosecutors with attempting to kidnap uh uh, Mr. Uh, Paul Pelosi there and assaulting a relative of a federal official. Everyone's wondering, or at least the New York Times and other outlets have said he's embraced far right conspiracy theories. He's also an illegal immigrant from Canada. Uh, you and I have joked about that on Twitter. So you could check out our Twitter feeds if you want to hear more about that. But where has some of this been coming from? Where has some of this vitriol be coming from? Well, I mentioned it on that panel on MSNBC, and it was basically. Four months ago, Jesse Waters was on Fox on prime time saying things like this. Breaking moments ago, the DA in Napa County, California, charged Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's husband, with DUI. This after weeks of pressure from you, primetime viewers. According to the press release, Pelosi will face a misdemeanor charge, not a felony. Surprise, surprise. According to the Times, there was a witness at the scene of the collision, a witness. Funny because we asked for witness statements and they told us to take a hike. So who is this witness? Just standing on the side of the road in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere? There's no bus stops in wine country. So if you ask prime time, this sounds a little fishy. So we have to ask, was the witness in the car with Paul? We know Nancy was out of town that night, and reports suggest Pauly P has always had a little bit of a wandering eye. Was it hanky-panky that caused the collision? 
Now, some of you may be listening to that and go, well, that was kind of tame. You know, that wasn't not too much there. But that was the lead story on primetime on a news network where the former sitting president of the United States had just had his home searched by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And that was what was playing at prime time on another network, a DUI arrest for a guy just over the legal limit uh, who happens to be the husband you know, of the Speaker of the House. Um, make the connections that you want there, that you will, but discussing the family members and other issues similar to what we've mentioned about Hunter Biden, we're going to get into that in our final segment. Some of these clips have played out about family members and, and obviously, some people will say, well, what about the family members of the Trump family? I agree with that as well. But if you're breaking laws or if you're breaking rules, specifically with giving security clearance to your family members, which is a no-no, if you recall, that was done with the last administration, the coverage, I agree with you. If you're not doing anything wrong, family off the table, take them out, shouldn't be covered or anything in that vein. Unfortunately, in the last administration, the lines were muddied. You know, they were blurred for sure, whether or not kids in the administration had security clearances, Donald Trump's kids, and also Jared Kushner was his son-in-law in charge of Middle East policy, if you recall that famous press conference. So um, I'm a, I agree with everything that you said about violence and political violence against family, all of that off the table for sitting members of Congress, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, an independent, even somebody like Lauren Boebert. You don't want to see violence committed to their their family members or them specifically. But when you think about why things like this have emerged, we have seen a lot of it has been from the media and the way coverage is aimed at either politicians and their families specifically when the a primetime network is leading with a story that Jesse Waters is talking about being buried in a newspaper. By the way, Jesse, nobody reads physical newspapers anymore. Maybe you might want to download the New York Times app because um, it wasn't in the fashion section on the New York Times app. But I, I, I digress on that one. But um, leading with that on the backdrop of for the first time ever in history, a, a former sitting president had the FBI searching his home. I would think you'd lead with the other story, but that's just me. What are some of your takeaways on some of the things that have emerged from the ethos of the far right media chamber, specifically opinion commentators in primetime hours that have really honed in on the Paul Pelosi's, the Hunter Biden's and things like that. And now you see an act of violence carried out by somebody who the police have been saying, you know, he had hammers, he had zip ties. Donald Trump Jr. tweeted out, you know, an insensitive photo after saying his Halloween costume would be underwear and a a hammer. Um, We saw Glenn Youngkin retract his statement about security at Nancy Pelosi's house. Carrie Lake said something incredibly insensitive that was being laughed at by the moderator there. We all are on the same page. Violence against family and sitting members of Congress, no matter how stupid you are, no matter what side of the political aisle you are, is wrong. Yet here you have People in office, Glenn Youngkin, people running for office, Carrie Lake, all making these type of comments. And then Donald Trump Jr. tweeting out a photo like that. And then they wonder how the violence train kind of comes around full circle. What what are some of your takeaways there? Yeah, I think we've gotten to this really uncomfortable place where, you know, in order to get likes, clicks, whatever you want to call the electronic currency now, you know, people say the most outrageous things. You know, Twitter for the most part, it's that perfect example of something you probably wouldn't say to someone's face. You'll do it, you know, through through that outlet. Uh, most of the po- most, I would imagine most of the folks that you just talked about, if you're just sitting down having a conversation with them, I don't think that level of energy is coming. It's performative. You know, you and I've had people on this show uh, that have talked about that. That um, you have noticed that you know behind the scenes, some of the most vocal members of Congress, when you actually talk to them person to person, are not like that. So this is really just to get attention. Unfortunately, though, you know, two people like the like the person who attacked you know Mr. Pelosi, this thing can land on them. You know, when we were in D.C., we talked with um, you know former FBI agent Pete Lapp, and you know Pete brings up a really interesting point that you can say these things. 
you know, what Jesse said on his show, what others have said on their respective platforms, what you and I say on our respective Twitter platforms that we're not obviously, you know, that fringe. But they're all protected by the First Amendment, which is to say that the government, not private business folks, you can say whatever stuff you want, like Kyrie Irving's about to has now found out they reserve the right to punish you. <laughs> but the federal government cannot kick your door in uh, because of something you simply said online. Um, but that just doesn't stop these folks from saying the the most ludicrous things. You know, the fact that Waters led off with, you know, Paul Pelosi's DUI. I'm not surprised. I mean, if you've if anyone's ever paid attention to the history of Fox News, you know, and and really where the network came from in the early 90s, it was basically just a response to the Clinton campaign. You know, right. Roger Ailes, Rush Limbaugh, these folks were very clear that they were going to make an effort to really disrupt um, the presidency of Bill Clinton. That was the target. And every day, if you watched Fox, you saw just relentless attacks on both the president and the first lady. Mike, you were talking a moment ago about you know, leave family out of this. The Clintons have been harassed by the right forever. Um, and that was just the move. No matter the accomplishments of the Clinton administration, Fox News made it very clear they were going to go after both members um, or both members of that couple. Well, uh, and that legacy will, lives on today. I will say just a quick interjection. Yeah, yeah. Bill didn't help himself in some of those instances. Just some just in terms oh, of like no, his, listen, you know, I mean, oh, yeah, no, his I right. mean, listen, I mean, cheating on his wife. And I mean, you could argue what he said under oath or when he was questioned and yeah. how he basically kind of got around that. Just in the interest of fairness, I sure. agree with you on the on the and the fringe extreme. But I right. mean, obviously what he but, did. Yeah, but I mean, let's but there's no tell me the other cable network, you know, that basically came up out of the ashes just as a response right, right. <laughs> to one political party that doesn't exist. Um, and it really begins with what, you know, what Fox's intentions were at the same time. It was to provide a, you know, a form of political critique that lent that lended itself to a side of the country that felt underrepresented which is right. laughable now because it's overrepresented. But um, so I'm not at all surprised. But, you know, Mike, as you've brought up before, yeah, and folks have to understand this, Jesse Waters is not is not a journalist. Um, that show is not news. It's Correct. on a it's on a news channel. Um, and I, I use that word jokingly. But as Mike brings up during the primetime hours, it's not about news. This is entirely editorializing. So if I were to open up a newspaper, I see Jesse Waters' name in the editorial section. I know his political leaning. And I have to understand that what I'm about to read is essentially him spouting off, you know, right leaning um, rhetoric, you know, and taking apart, you know, Mr. Pelosi on a DUI charge. Um, but that's that's the ball game, folks. Like, this is why we talk about media literacy all the time. It's important that if you are going to watch a program to understand the political leanings of the person or commentator and understand the difference between what's reported and yes, Mr. Pelosi was <laughs> did get a DUI. And what is what is opinion, which is simply, well, you know, this is not as severe as it could be or whatever nonsense Waters was saying, which none of it is true. I mean, you know, so um, it wasn't it wasn't shocking at all that he said it, you know, during a time that um, the former president, you know, had had uh, the FBI, you know, knock knock down the doors at on a, <laughs> on a legally you know, acquired warrant is not shocking because it's that's obfuscation that's that's what that network does um so yeah i'm not yeah. i'm not at all surprised by that and, and, and you know it's like i said it's funneling into now you can just say whatever you want we've seen what happened with kyrie irving uh obviously he's playing the semantic word game about promoting but when you reshare a video with the link kyrie i don't know if you know what's how synonyms work but promoting is the same as sharing, right? Or at least posting something onto your feed. Uh, maybe he'll look that up while he's got his time off here. But there's a perfect example of somebody sharing something that has hate filled within it. We can argue about the platform hosting that uh, and why that documentary was available. And did it go through the checks as somebody who used to do that myself, somebody who used to do ratings and advisories? for one of the largest cable networks that has a huge streaming platform, I would go in and add the ratings and advisories to things after watching them, Nick. I wonder who was the Mike Leon equivalent on Amazon Prime uh, for that Kyrie Irving documentary. But there's a perfect example of something now. Kyrie has a huge platform sending that out. It's got, again, I'm not going to watch it, uh, but it has, according to people that have seen it, 
hate-filled messaging around the Jewish community, um, it could lead to violence. So rhetoric like what you see with Jesse Waters or whatever's on OAN and Newsmax, if you still have those channels, could lead to something like this. Uh, but it truly does all tie in together. Like this election is important because there are people that are condoning this kind of stuff, like Carrie Lake, who has gone out there and said, no, I don't accept the results unless I win. And also, let me make a joke about somebody's family member who just got attacked. And you have candidates like that that are not being genuine and serious. And it all ties into where they're getting it from. Where are you getting that news from, that source of information from? We see it in the primetime hours on the network I used to work at once upon a time. And then we're seeing it in athletes like a Kyrie Irving who are not educated enough and should be looked at as role models. No athlete should be. Look at your parents as role models if you want to do that. Uh, that's Mike Leon's opinion. And then whatchamacallit, a guy like that using his platform to promote something that he probably didn't even fully watch. It's a three-hour and 21-minute uh, documentary, and it's filled with anti-Semitic messaging, according to people that have reviewed it. Now he's been suspended by the league. Um, final take before we head into the break and Representative Seth Moen on the other side. You know, there's a couple of things that come to mind. First, you know, again, folks, about media literacy. You know, if you're reading something um, that's just drawing an emotional charge from you, it's it's really important to sort of step back and ask yourself, you know, where's that emotion coming from? Yeah, I, I, I'm putting on my coaching hat for a minute, but I think it's really important we got to come back to, you know, regardless of your emotional response, the opportunity to sort of step back, recognize what you're feeling, and maybe what you're reading is just triggering you, and it's maybe not the most helpful thing to engage in with that moment, or an an opportunity to understand. You know, where is that, where is that information coming from? And is that a vetted source? Is this simply an opinion piece or is this news? Folks, for the most part, information doesn't trigger folk, doesn't trigger you. People's take on it may do so. And then you have to ask yourself, well, whose opinion do you value so much that their performative behavior is causing an anger that rises from you? Because again, it's not the news. It's not facts. Facts don't cause that kind of response unless it flies in the face of something you've believed all this time, as we saw with vaccines. You know, Mike, you talked about the Steve Scalise thing, and um, and I'm reminded of what we saw with the Brett Favre situation. I'm going to bring this to sports for a minute. You know, we saw on Twitter so many folks, not, not just Twitter, social media, and even in general, in conversations you and I've had with friends, you know, folks that will say, well, you know, they're talking about you know, all these other athletes. I'm not seeing a whole lot about what Brett Favre's doing. I'm forgetting who the other athlete was. Maybe it was Ime Adoka or something that was going on. And I'm like, there's plenty of ink dedicated to Brett Favre. Go read Anna Wolf's work in Mississippi. Just go pay attention to the landscape. I was really appreciative of journalists coming forward and saying, this is not true. ESPN's putting more information behind this. And in general, folks, when you say, there's not enough attention being given to X. Unless you're a journalist, you're getting your information from somewhere. Clearly, you are informed. Simply just Google news search that. And someone's clearly talking about this. So we need to stop with the whataboutism about media coverage. Everything is getting covered. Everything has ink to it. If you don't feel like it has enough ink to it, then do something about it. Write to an editor. Blog about it. Be informed. Do something. Take action. Simply saying it's not getting enough ink in 2022 is just simply unacceptable. It is true. Uh, and we devote a lot of attention to these stories. But Nick is right. There are it's 24 seven cycle. When we had that panel in D.C. of journalists, we talked about that. You can't watch all 24 hours of it, folks. We're not all awake at 24 hours a day. We're not vampires. And so there are people covering this at other different networks and outlets. And it speaks to diversifying your news sources when you're going out there and consuming news. Don't just settle for 7 p.m. at one channel every night as your source. Don't settle for one video that you saw on Facebook or something like that. You have to source, vet these things. Multiple places. Take the same common set of facts and commonalities in each of these and then interpret that as the full narrative. Um, on the opposite side of the break, U.S. House of Representative member Seth Moulton this man was fantastic. He's a Democrat from Massachusetts. When we come back after the break, our interview with Representative Seth Moulton after the break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. The presenting sponsor of Can We Please Talk is Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world. You know how much Nick and I drink coffee. We love it here. I'm a K-Cup guy. Nick's that French press guy over there. Uh, right, Nick? You're a French press guy. I am. But I've also used a, a Chemex. I've also used right. a percolator like most people do. Yeah, But regardless of your type of grind, Fresh Roasted Coffee's got you covered. In addition to single origin blends, Mike's a Colombian person. I'm a Sumatra drinker. They've also got a variety of flavors. You can also get sampler packs too. I'm all about the sampler packs. But most importantly, let's say coffee's not your thing. If you're a tea person, mm -hmm. they got you covered too, That's Mike. Right. They cover all their bases. So go there and learn about your your learn about your coffee style. You go there to a three four question quiz you'll find out what coffee is recommended for you so you're learning something in addition to buying something but as a listener there's an additional benefit for buying from fresh roast coffee look at this man this man sets up the softball i hit it out of the park it is true um if you take that questionnaire that's on their site it's awesome and it gets you right into the flavor profile that that matches you best with the coffee that you should be buying but you want to enter a promo code at checkout put all that stuff into the cart there Enter in the promo promo code, excuse me. Can we get 20? Can we get 20? This offer is valid for new fresh roasted coffee and positively tea customers. You're going to get 20% discount on any and all coffee and tea unless otherwise specified. Code is not valid for branded merchandise or coffee gear. One use per customer. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right, Representative Seth Moulton joins us here on the Can We Please Talk podcast. Representative Moulton, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on with us. Hey, it's great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. First, I want to get into, uh, for you, I was recently on an MSNBC panel discussing everything that happened with Paul Pelosi and the recent attack on the speaker's husband. Um, the conversation got around, you know, far right wing media and how it had a role in some of this and the attacker. I want to just get some of your takeaways first as sitting member of Congress. Obviously, you know, the speaker, um, some of your takeaways on the attack overall. Well, first of all, I mean, this is just absolutely, absolutely disgusting. And um, we're all thinking about uh, our friends, Nancy and Paul. I've actually had the pleasure of really getting to know Paul very well. In fact, I was first introduced to Paul um, before I even met Nancy uh, coming to Congress, I think. A mutual friend put us in touch. Um, you know, uh, we all have our political debates and whether you're uh, a Republican who disagrees with Pelosi or you're a Democrat who sometimes disagrees with her. Um, when you get to know Nancy and Paul, you recognize that they're wonderfully nice people and this shouldn't happen to anybody. Um, but that's kind of, you know, what we're thinking about right now. And I'll tell you, one of the quiet conversations that we have in Congress with our colleagues is the fear for our family's safety. And obviously, this violent assault is, you know, confirmation of that um, 
of that fear. So the, the personal answer to your question is we're thinking about Nancy and Paul and, and I'm thinking about my kids right here at home. Congressman, you know, over the last few weeks, as we're getting you know ready for midterms next week, um, there's just been a bevy of political ads. You know, if you're watching any sporting event, uh, obviously you're in Massachusetts, so you know during Patriot games, right? I'm in Pennsylvania, so you know it's Philly Steelers or you know Eagles Steelers rather, and we're just seeing a barrage of of attack ads. What's been just your assessment of, of and this connects to what we just talked about about Paul Pelosi's attack recently um, about discourse and what responsibility do do members of Congress, politicians, elected officials in general have to try and really squelch down that rhetoric so it's not leading into a place of disinformation and getting into a really personal side in the form of attacks, both physically and uh, verbally? I think everybody in America has a responsibility to turn down the vitriol. But of course, that responsibility falls heavily on the shoulders of leaders in America political leaders who are responsible for much of this uh, hateful, vitriolic political rhetoric. So absolutely, I think uh, my colleagues and I have a lot of responsibility. And, you know, I was elected um, in 2014. Uh, Maybe sounds like a long time ago. It feels like it wasn't that long ago to me. But when I was elected, I ran on a platform of, of bipartisanship. I mean, it seems like almost like this quaint, you know, anachronistic uh, historical time right now, but I won a Democratic primary by saying that the incumbent who'd been there for 18 years was too partisan. And that's why he wasn't able to get anything done. He passed one bill in 18 years. And I said, we can do better than that. And we can do better by being willing to work with the other side, by not just attacking the other side, but finding common ground. And, and I look, I've tried to do that. I have done it. I just passed... 988, the National Mental Health Hotline, with a Republican, a fellow veteran across the aisle. We never would have gotten it done if he and I hadn't been able to work together on this really, you know, groundbreaking legislation. So, so I believe in that philosophy, and I'm constantly trying to turn down the rhetoric. But obviously, a lot of people on both sides of the aisle find political advantage in doing the opposite, in, in turning it up, turning up the hate, the vitriol, the attacks. And we're certainly seeing a lot of that this political season. Congressman, just take us through the reality of that in the sense of you've you just spoke a moment ago about striving for bipartisanship. You know, obviously to those outside the political spectrum, you know, we see the ads, we see what I would consider some of the most cartoonish versions of of members of Congress, the most outspoken ones. Um, but as a sitting member of Congress, what has bipartisanship looked like? Obviously, it may not be in the best place as it was uh, when you first joined Congress. But you know, what hope do we have about finding common ground? What's been your lived experience about working with Republicans? Well, first of all, let me just acknowledge there's no question it's gotten worse. You're right about that. Um, it's a lot worse than it was when I first came, and I haven't even been in Congress all that long. But because so many people have gotten more Twitter followers and gotten on national TV by being hateful, by saying the next most outrageous thing, uh, the reality is that most bipartisanship today happens behind the scenes. It's the quiet negotiating, not in front of the cameras, uh, sometimes not even at a you know, out in a restaurant because someone might see you sitting down with someone from the other side of the aisle and tweet about it and question your credibility as a as a true Republican or as a true Democrat. But when we find quiet times to talk and figure out where we can actually get things done, that's where it happens. When I, when I first ran and I, I was on this, you know, platform of, of, of doing more uh, bipartisanship work, bipartisan work, I was asked by people, well, Seth, how do you work with someone like Ted Cruz? How on earth are you going to work with a Republican like that? And my answer is very simple. You don't. I've never worked with Ted Cruz on anything, and I probably never will. He's useless when it comes to actually working in a bipartisan way to getting things done. But there are still enough Republicans left. Yes, they're dwindling, but there are still enough Republicans left that you can find who actually do want to get things done. And there are people like Chris Stewart from Utah. Now, he's way more conservative 
than I or any of my constituents or most of my constituents in Massachusetts would ever dream of being. But we found common ground on mental health, largely because of our experience as veterans. And we got a landmark piece of legislation passed because we were willing to quietly work behind the scenes to get it done. We're going to get into that legislation in a bit. Um, I want to give some space here because we just had our live show in D.C., roundtable of journalists and and some former government officials. We're talking about everything with the midterm elections. Such an important time right now in in our country's history with these upcoming elections. All 435 House seats are up, 36 governor races across different states, 35 Senate seats up. I've been playing some clips recently of some of the Republican messaging around the abortion, gas prices are being high, nothing being done on the Democratic side for inflation. How do Democrats, in your opinion, Representative Molden, how do they message better on items that have passed legislatively, whether it's on a partisan line or on a nonpartisan line, a bipartisan line, excuse me? Um, how, how do you think Democrats should be messaging better heading into these final five or six days here before election? I mean, it's a great question, right? This why why can't Democrats get a better message out? Because, you know, we seem to be the perennial people who are doing the right thing, including for a lot of folks uh, who are voting for Trump. A lot of people in Middle America who you know only really get helped when Democrats pass legislation to lower health care costs, when Democrats pass legislation to improve their infrastructure, where when Democrats support housing and education which Republicans are always trying to cut. So we clearly have to improve our messaging. I I think a lot of this is about relatability. You know, we've got to talk in kitchen table terms. We've got to be honest about the, we weren't, we weren't honest about inflation for a long time. You know, we kept saying, oh, it's transitory. It's going to go away. I mean, people who are trying to buy a loaf of bread and seeing the price go up in the middle of Arkansas, they don't care what transitory means. They just want to see prices go down. They want to be able to afford things. Or they want to see their wages go up. So I think we've got to talk in much more real terms about the economic challenges that people are think are, are facing. I also think we've got to recognize that you know not everybody in America is as woke as the left wing of the Democratic Party wants them to be. And it doesn't mean that everybody in America who's not super woke is a bad person. If we want to represent the majority of Americans, if we want to be the majority party, we've got to represent them too. So I think there's a part of this where we need to tone down some of the uh, the far left rhetoric. And there's a part where we need to sort of turn up uh, just really talking about kitchen table issues and how they affect American families. Speaking of the kitchen table, let's get into the kitchen tables in your district. Um, you know, Mike and I previously had a, a comms director uh, for another member of Congress, and something we we love to just hear about is the district that you serve, or if it were a state, you know, the state you serve, um, because at the end of the day, it's about your constituents and what you're doing in support of them. Uh, Congressman, just take us through District Six in in Massachusetts. Whom do you serve? What their their needs have been, uh, and coming forward. You know, through another election cycle, what needs are you and your team anticipating for your constituents? Well, let me give you a window um, into this this question by simply talking about some of the constituents I, I spoke to yesterday um, as I was out and about in the district. You know, I was asked about this big project to um, build wind farms off the coast of Massachusetts. And there are a lot of people, a lot of people I represent who are excited about this because they recognize that we can't be dependent on foreign oil. We can't be dependent on people like the leaders of Saudi Arabia and the disgusting dictator in charge of Russia, Vladimir Putin, who are essentially setting the price of oil that we all have to pay. So they're real excited about that. And Massachusetts can be a leader on clean energy, not just wind, but we're developing nuclear fusion, all sorts of things that could literally change the world. But back to these wind turbines, we're celebrating Um, a big federal grant that I helped bring to uh, the town I live in, the city of Salem, Salem, Massachusetts, that's going to take uh, the old, some old land that was used by a coal fired power plant that's now shut down. And this, this, this vacant lot is essentially going to be used as a staging ground for offshore wind turbines. But 
I also talked yesterday with a local lobsterman who every single day makes his living, um, even in the worst of the winter, by going out and, and, and fishing, by fishing for lobsters. And he's really worried about some of these big wind turbines. He doesn't know how they're going to affect the, the, the lobsters. He's someone who appreciates the work being done to save the right whales, something that I've been working on a lot personally. Uh, but it's really impacting his way of life and the way he makes a living and the way he puts food on the table. And we talked about how the challenge with uh, environmental regulations in the lobster industry is way bigger than Massachusetts, too, because you know what? People are going to eat seafood, whether they buy it from the well-regulated fisheries off Massachusetts or they buy it from China, where they have no environmental regulations whatsoever. So ensuring that this lobsterman, a great guy, a good friend of mine, has a future, can make a living, is not just about him. It's also about making sure that all of us are eating sustainable seafood and not just importing it from some environmental disaster that's just too far away for us to see. So my point is that you've got these big issues that we talk about nationally, like wind energy and energy independence and shifting to green power and environmental regulations and, and, and how we compete with China. But they really come home uh, for people just trying to make a living every single day in our district. Representative Moulton, um, before we let you go, and I was mentioning this to you off air, I'll bring it over here. Thank you for your service. But I know something near and dear to your heart. You've been mentioning about the 988 suicide and crisis lifeline legislation that you passed on a bipartisan nature. Uh, I want to give some space here because. Obviously, BetterHelp has been a sponsor on this show. Uh, and for people that are out there seeking mental health, we see how it's crept into almost every uh, form of, of anything uh, relating to not only the U.S., but globally, right? Mental health and how to tackle those issues. I want to give some space to you right now to talk a little bit about the 988 mental health hotline that you wrote legislation on that that passed. Absolutely. Well, over 50,000 Americans die every year by suicide, every one of them alone, and all because in that moment of crisis, they they can't get help. And 988 is going to change that because now everyone in America will know that you just dial three digits, 988, to get connected to a professional who can help you through, who can literally talk you through, hold your hand over the phone through perhaps the darkest day of your life. And the other thing that 988 is doing, it's not just giving people easy access to that help. It's it's starting to really attack the stigma against getting help in the first place. Because some people know that there's a suicide hotline out there or know now that 988 exists, but they're afraid to call. They don't want to admit that they have a problem or they don't want to admit that a loved one really needs help. And the conversations that this legislation has started, the conversation like we're having right now is changing that terrible stigma that prevents many Americans from seeking the help that they need and that they deserve. So I know that uh, Representative Stewart and I hope that 988 not only means that everywhere in America, no matter what time of day it is, what cell phone you have in your hand, anyone can get access to help. We also hope that as veterans, we can set the example and say, it's okay. It's okay to ask for help. You deserve it. You sprain your ankle, you break your leg, you go to the doctor, you get help, you get better. You can do the same for mental health. And all of us should. Very well said. Uh, Representative Moulton, wishing you the best in your reelection here. He represents Massachusetts 6th Congressional District. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Continued success to you, sir. And please stay safe. Same to you. Thanks, guys. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. All right, our thank yous there for to Representative Seth Moulton, excuse me, 
uh, Massachusetts 6th Congressional District. If you haven't already early voted in Massachusetts, uh, obviously you can wait till Tuesday as well and vote in person, but uh, head out there. Uh, boy, let me tell you something. We said this to him off air. I'm going to bring it over here. I know you feel a similar way. You know, a former veteran wants to, you know, work along bipartisan lines. You know, there's a way to be able to work with people that are genuine. How many times have I mentioned this on this program, having worked at Fox before about disingenuousness, right? Having a conversation with somebody that, you know, on the opposite end, they know that they're not being truthful or genuine. He mentioned that. He mentioned one particular person that has drawn the ire of Nick and I on this program in Senator Ted Cruz. And he said it. He's like, why would I ever work with somebody who's not genuine? Right. You can smell a phony from a mile away. And so I appreciated that he said that and then showed you an example of how he's worked with somebody on the opposite side of the aisle to pass legislation that's impactful for something near and dear to his heart, which is as a as a former veteran, right, getting mental help for veterans out there that come home. You know, I have uh, veterans in my family. I have somebody that's currently serving in the military and my brother-in-law. Um, these are important things. These guys come back, right? Guys and gals, excuse me. They come back and there's issues that they have readjusting to society. And I love some of the things that he said there, but I think that's the thing that stood out the most for me, the ability to work with people that are genuine on that opposite side of the aisle. He mentioned it. They're dwindling. The number of people are dwindling. We talked about that before, um, but he's willing to do it if you're genuine in what it is you want to do. What were some of your takeaways on, on Representative Bowen real quick before we get into our final segment? Yeah, the same here. Um, just a, a good person, you know, fight, fighting the good fight. You know, and one thing you brought up about political rhetoric, uh, it's not necessarily just from the far right, but even with the far left with um, you know, sometimes the messaging that can come from more fringe members of the Democratic Party doesn't land, you know, with some constituents. I mean, he gave the example um, of the lobster farmer, right? Um, you know, concerned about wind turbines, you know, recognizing the need for, you know, strong ecological, you know, <laughs> policy, but also recognizes like, well, what could the impact be me to be? Um, but, but, rep but the representative said, you know, something you and I talked about for a while now is, you know, any type of political discourse, is it grounded in the needs of constituents? You know, is it grounded in the needs of the country? Um, if it's not, then it's just talk for talk's sake. And I think that's what, that's what he was getting at. Um, yeah, I just appreciate that conversation. You know, you and I have been very excited about being able to talk to people who are who are really leading this country. And he does that through District 6 in Massachusetts. But uh, we certainly feel the impact of his work, you know, when we think about something like 988. Um, and that ultimately is what we hope from any member of Congress, the ability to help improve the lives of their constituents, but ultimately the country. And with a bill or the opportunity now just three digits away to get mental health support wherever you are in this country is is powerful. That's impact. That's the kind of work that we hope to have for members of Congress, regardless of your political affiliation. And he's open to to doing that work with others um, as long as they're being genuine. And that's 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 how he came off was genuine to me. I, I, I loved every moment of that and especially what he said, bro. I, I mean, again, you and I are not members of Congress. <laughs> Here's a guy that can actually you know, put pen to paper and enact legislation, you know, and, and get buy-in from other people about something that he wants to push ahead. So uh, 988, if if you are interested in, in getting mental help, um, but speaking of, well, I have no transition there, but there was a bunch of things that we talked about in that interview that I brought over to an MSNBC segment recently. We got the show recently got some plug over on MSNBC as I appeared on a panel on this past Sunday, Eamon Mohideen's show over at 9 p.m. You can follow Eamon on Twitter, on IG. He's great. He's been on this program to promote his show, American Radical. He had me on to discuss a few different issues playing out. We mentioned the Paul Pelosi stuff that just happened with Representative Bolton. We talked about that in the first segment. The second segment, we talked about an, an Atlantic article that talks about 68% of Republicans that are registered to vote believe that Joe Biden should be impeached. And we talked about the nonsensical impeachment articles that have been brought forward by Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, and a similar members of that Freedom Caucus. I'm using air quotes for those of you not watching on YouTube. 
we're going to react to my appearance. Nick, you're going to you're going to grade my MSNBC appearance. Take a listen. If you didn't watch uh, this past Sunday, take a listen to this. Mike, uh, Barton Gelman also pointed out in his Atlantic piece uh, that a University of Massachusetts Amherst poll in May found that 68 percent of Republican voters think the House should impeach Biden. A majority expect that it will impeach him. What does that say about the state of the Republican Party in this country? You know, Eamon, I struggle with this because we had historian Eric Foner on the program a while back, and he was telling us about the history of impeachment and how it's really a blunt instrument. And the fact that, you know, President Obama just said there in the clip before about how important this election is, how a lot of Republicans have already publicly stated that they will be in favor of of impeachment. But Barton's article does a great job of saying, and it's the proverbial, what's the motive behind impeachment, right? Because there isn't anything right now to impeach Joe Biden on. I mean, he makes the argument about the Afghanistan withdrawal and maybe that could be utilized. He makes the argument also about Hunter Biden. Listen, if Hunter Biden, who is currently under investigation by the FBI and he is found uh, charged with a crime, let the legal and investigative processes play out. Is that that hard to say out loud? Let the legal and investigative process play out. But I find it mystifying that you have frivolous impeachment uh, articles drawn up by Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boeber and the like. And we're not getting into policy. Why can't we get back into policy? Like Dr. Greer mentioned, things that are actually going to affect your constituency. Why are we talking about these things that are not substantial? I want to get back to talking about policy and things that impact. And I don't understand why one side of the political aisle is not doing that couple things there for me uh, before Nick grades my appearance there. Um, uh, one of the things I did want to harp on there, there was a President Obama clip that he before the segment and in the clip, he is giving a speech in Wisconsin. He's campaigning for Mandela Barnes. And he says uh, in the clip, you know, if you don't go out there and vote, they're going to impeach Joe Biden. I don't know for what, but they're going to impeach him. And it's kind of like what I said, the article and you can find it's by Barton Gelman, I believe, over at The Atlantic. And he talks about some of the findings that he's done uh, interviewing Republican strategists, interviewing members of Congress off the record, uh, people that are running for con congressional seats that are a Republican. Um, and so he's compiled all this data. And that's what's led to the 68 percent that say Biden should be impeached. And it's like, for what? Like there is no smoking gun, for lack of a better term here, to impeach Joe Biden. But I wanted to I wanted to kind of give some context around that. Very tough to do in a two, three minute segment on national television at nine o'clock in front of a, a pretty big audience. But um, how would you grade your co-host's appearance here on MSNBC as the pod got a major plug there? Yeah, I, I, I'd give you an eight because, you know, I think you do the most important thing, which is you keep it factual. You know, I'd, I'd also argue, too, that it's you really couldn't tell your political leanings. I, I think you just sound like an informed citizen. So. And that's what I think we always strive for. Um, there were no, you know, there's a funny thing that we see happening now. Um, it may have began <laughs> with the first takeization of ESPN, and now it's trickled into news programs where we just take certain, you know, headlines, bullet points, what have you, and we just hammer them home. You know, they're fallacious, they're over, they're broad, general, they don't really mean anything, like, you know, words like woke or critical race theory. And, and we just keep throwing them out there. I mean, we've seen Carrie Lake do this. We've seen so many politicians do this in a debate because they lack substance. What you were bringing up, first off, the interview with Eric Fowler is one of the highlights of the show for me because I'm a huge fan of his work. Um, Great historian, but, man. Yeah. And, you know, and that piece from The Atlantic that you brought up, like you're bringing facts to this. Um, if anything, yes, an A for me, but more importantly, I'd say... You know, on behalf of everyone who went to skills at Rutgers, like you and I did at the School of Communication Information Library Systems, <clears throat> you represented us well, man. Like that's, we need more people like that, like to enter newsrooms, do shows like ours, uh, to keep an informed discourse. So I applaud that you didn't swing either side of it, just represented our show well, but, you know, represented what journalism should be, what it can be. So. Right. No, for me on that. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I want to shout out to my friend, Chris, who texted me before my appearance and said, like a bowling alley right down the middle. And it is true. You know, there are issues on both sides of the political aisle. But at the end of the day, you know, we should be uh, not condoning violence against members of Congress and family members, no matter how you feel about them. 
And then the, because that was what the first segment was about. And then the second part, there, there is nothing right now to impeach Joe Biden on. Republicans know that. Democrats know that. There is nothing. You know, there is absolutely nothing. We got to get back to fact and fiction, right, wrong. Forget about R&D for a second. Uh, we leave it there. Our thank yous to Representative Seth Moulton for coming on the podcast. If you want to watch the video of our interview with Representative Moulton, head to Can We Please Talk Podcast on YouTube. Type that in. Leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the pod, obviously. Audio podcast platforms, you know them by now. Apple, Spotify, Google comment we want to hear from you email us can we please talk podcast at gmail.com we want to hear from you you know we always uh listen to the feedback and we read some of the comments on air as well shout out to acast our hosting platform we can't do it without them we can't do it without each and every one of you that have listened to this program have written in good bad or indifferent we recently reached the top 100 of news commentary podcast in this country we can't do it without each and every one of you as always i'm mike leon 988 important three numbers if you have the feeling of needing mental support, it's available to you. Just three digits, 988. Please take advantage of it. And thank you to Seth Moulton and other members of Congress who helped get this through. That's the kind of work that we all need. Uh, and vote next week, as always. I'm Nick Saveri. We'll see everybody next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.